and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who has only two sleeps left till Premier League. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I do love counting things in order of sleeps. Yes, <laughs> two remaining until we get Premier League again. We sure do. Um, and only one, one show remaining before we've previewed all the teams. Today we've got our final six Premier League previews. And if we've done it correctly and we know our alphabet and AFC Bournemouth aren't here to throw us off, today we have Sheffield United, Southampton, Tottenham, help me out, Taylor, West Brom. West Brom, West, West Brom. Ham and Wolves. West the Brom, W's. West Ham and Wolves. All the W's. Yeah, a lot of W's this year in the Premier League. I think, I think we've had one more in years past. I'm not sure. Oh, Watford would be the other usual yes. contender for the W's. Not so much this year. <laughs> Before we get started with um, Sheffield United, uh, maybe let's catch up on any news that has happened since we, uh, we did our previous seven teams. I personally have been looking for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to sign his new contract <laughs> so that um, I won't have a massive error in the first episode when people listen. Uh-huh. The rumours are he's about to sign, but it's still not official at time of recording. I like that you've sort of become sympathetic to Arsenal fans who have been having this exact same Google search and like Google yeah. alerts probably set up for the last month or two. Yep. And now you're part of that as well. Yep. I'm doing it more than them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that's a credit to you, but it does seem like he will sign. Uh, it seems as though Michy Batshuayi has signed with Chelsea, but will immediately go on loan to Crystal Palace for this season at least. Uh, he returns to Crystal Palace, and I think that will probably end up being a good move for everybody except people specifically named Christian Benteke. <laughs> Yes, agreed, 100%. Although I'm, I'm kind of surprised about why he signed a new contract with Chelsea. You would think he'd be looking for permanent exits, right? You would. I mean, unless either they've guaranteed him he has a place going forward, which seems unlikely. So maybe it is just they've offered him a lot of money and the, I guess, long-term stability yeah. of that contract yeah, is something you probably can't turn down. Because if, they, if they've offered him a place long-term, he's like, I've seen the Bundesliga. I know who's joined. <laughs> I know how things stand. I'll go and meet, I'll go and you meet a long-term term place in the reserves. <laughs> any, other, any other big news? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call Mishibat Shuaii loan to Crystal Palace again. Medium news. Yeah, I think there's a lot of medium news slash medium rumors today. Uh, there's the Aiden Hazard showing up a little bit overweight for yeah. preseason. There's Jaden Sancho is definitely and also definitely not moving to Manchester United. That one seems to have reignited. He signed so. a new contract, right? That yeah. was the, to me, that was the biggest indicator that he's not going anywhere, at least for another year. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I was feeling pretty good about this season as a Manchester United fan. And then sort of doing all these previews and then looking back at Manchester United, I did my, I think my top nine of how I think things will finish. They're not particularly high on that list. Oh, I am. I am not interested in predicted tables. I always, so here's what I, I have to say about part, my predicted I, table. I will hear you out, Taylor. <laughs> no, I don't really need you to. I kind of assumed that you would find that immediately boring. <laughs> and that's exactly how that went. Not out. boring, offensive. Offensive? <laughs> Not really, not really. All right. <laughs> uh, here's, a, here's a teaser, Daryl. Uh, top two, Liverpool, Man City. Not necessarily in that order, but I think they're probably going to be pretty good this season. That's, I know you heard it here first. That's a bold prediction, Tyler. That's a bold prediction. It's a strong one. There will be some one. actual bold, very specific predictions on today's show as we go through our previews. Are you ready to get started, Tyler? I believe I am. All I'm right. ready to get started by listening to you. So I'm up first with Sheffield United. Mm-hmm. So recently promoted, we've never heard of any of their players. They're definitely rubbish. They're going to finish bottom. Thanks for coming to the Premier League, Sheffield United. Oh, sorry, that was last year. That was everyone's prediction last year. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> so How'd that work out? Last year, Sheffield United actually finished ninth in the Premier League. Goals for 39, goals against 39. It was almost perfectly symmetrical with a 1-1 draw in every game. Yikes. That's good and bad simultaneously, which yes. is maybe a good explanation of their season as it went. Yeah, I mean, they're not really a goal-scoring force, but they're also uh, pretty solid defensively is yeah. the obvious thing that you can take from that. Um, before we get into predictions, I want to get into what people know about Sheffield United, or better, better way to phrase it might be, what you should know by now. If you don't know them by now, you will never, never know them. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, a sort of a rehash. A song? Did you sort of just quote a song there? I did sort of just quote a song. I couldn't remember the name of the artist, though. I mean, if you don't know me by now, I know that much. Yeah, but we, neither of us, we will never, never know who sung it, apparently. <laughs> uh, we're going to get some tweets, I guess. We certainly are. Right now, people are tweeting furiously right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. To give a sort of a, a rehash of my description of Sheffield United from when we did Project Restart previews, um, Everybody knows about the overlapping centre-backs for Sheffield United, right? They play the 3-5-2 and the centre-backs get forward down the wing. But as I said then, I think this is the really important thing. The overlapping centre-backs are a symptom of the wider system rather than the big tactical innovation of Sheffield United. And the big tactical innovation of Sheffield United really is constant wide overloads. So you've got the left wing back, for example, and then you'll have a midfielder like Fleck will go over and join the wing back, um, Edna Stevens, and the forward will go over to the left and the centre back, say Jack O'Connell down the left, will join all on that left side. And it's essentially, I think I called it, no, Michael Cox called it a game of one-upsmanship. No matter how many defenders come wide, Sheffield United will send one more defender over there. And they will just outnumber you down a flank, work the ball down the flank, and essentially play that Manchester City ball into the box. They, they do the Man City ball, you know, the cutback from the end line to a striker. It's just that they do it the hard way because they don't have Kevin De Bruyne. <laughs> I think very few teams do have Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah, only one that I can think of, to be honest. Yeah, that's the only one. <laughs> the other thing to look out for with Sheffield United and a specific player to look out for, Jack O'Connell, the left centre-back. If he's not overlapping down the left, what he's doing is playing gigantic diagonal balls um, out to the right with supreme accuracy. He looks like a golfer the way he hits them um, from the left flank all the way to the right flank to either Basham, the overlapping centre-back, or Baldock, the actual uh, right wing back getting himself down there. So that's your Basham and Bolduck sounds like some sort of 90s, 80s, like Bash Brothers esque uh, tandem. Yes, it could be um, like an 80s cop show, I think. That's the one. Yeah, except go. they're not real cops, they're sort of vigilante cops. Even better. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that just went from possibly greenlit to greenlit. Well done, Dale. <laughs> um, here's what I like about what Sheffield United have done in the transfer window. Um, last year, you could absolutely predict their starting lineup. Right, you'd have Stevens and Bodock as the wing backs, um, O'Connell, Egan, and Basham as the centre backs, um, and you had Fleck, Norwood, and Lundstrom as the central midfield. Right, they added Sander Berger in January. You and I were quite excited about Sander Berger, right, for an extra bit of depth. Um, this off season, they've added two new wing backs. Uh, their names are Max Lowe and Jaden Bogle. Not anyone you might have heard of. They both signed from the Championship. Just young guys who are like, you know, up and coming wing backs, perfect backups, right? To uh to Stevenson and to to Stevens and to Bolduck. I really like that. That it's not really competition for places, but it means that if if anyone's injured, they've at least got someone. Because they kind of didn't last year. They were not particularly deep. And then the other signing on loan, Ethan Ampadu. Do you remember Ethan Ampadu? Yeah, of yeah. course. Chelsea youngster was on loan at RB Leipzig for a little Dreads, while. Dreads, but no longer. 
dreads but no longer. Yeah, his dreads are not long at all because they've gone. Um, Ethan Ampadu is on loan at Sheffield United from Chelsea. I wouldn't expect him to start, but at some point a centre-back will be injured, suspended, tired, something like that. And we'll get to see Ethan Ampadu maybe making some of those overlapping runs down the left or the right, depending on which, which spot he takes. Or maybe he takes like, the central defender role. I don't know. We shall see. Forgive me, Daryl. Did you say that was a permanent or loan move? It was a loan move. Ethan, Ampadu, okay. Ethan Ampadu on loan from Chelsea. A Chelsea player on loan? Hmm. Shocker. Yeah, a young Chelsea player on loan. But this is a good loan. I like it. I really like it for Ethan Ampadu and for Sheffield United. All right, now, Taylor, we're going to inch our way towards my first prediction. All right. All right, Sheffield United, the other great thing about them, Oliver Norwood. And to give you an idea of an Oliver Norwood set piece, do you remember the goal that wasn't against Aston Villa? Yes. With the Hawkeye uh, problem. Do you remember, if you remember the sequence of that goal, it was an Oliver Norwood free kick from the left taken with his right foot. And it just bent so dangerously and confusingly um, that the Villa keeper ended up catching it and then colliding with his own player and falling back literally over his own goal line. It, it definitely went over the line, right? It was Graceful. a goal. Oliver Norwood's free kicks are absolutely deadly. Oliver Norwood's corners are absolutely deadly. I'm backing Oliver Norwood to score um, from either a free kick or a corner, like an Olympico, um, oh. next season. Predicting an Olympico. I applaud you, my friend. But with a make, little, I don't know why that makes me so happy. I am genuinely like stunned, and I love it. With a little safety net of maybe just scoring a direct free kick as well. If he scores an Olympico, you win specific predictions forever. <laughs> Here's the other thing as well. Oliver Norwood has a great strike from distance. Mm-hmm. But Chris Wilder, the Sheffield United manager, discourages shooting from distance because it wastes possession because instead we're crowding everybody down the wing and getting it down there, right? So he's got this magnificent skill that he's not really allowed to unleash in the open field, or at least he's discouraged from doing it. So I'm basically rooting for him to get his chance to shoot from distance from these direct free kicks, or of course, to score with an Olympico because he was kind of denied an Olympico-style goal um, because of Hawkeye after Project Restart. Selfish technology. Selfish Selfish technology, yeah. All right, final thing, Taylor. Did you know that Chris Wilder loves a gamble? No, I did not, especially given that he doesn't like shooting from distance or conceding possession. Doesn't seem like he would be a gambling man. Not not in a going-to-the-bookies kind of way, but gambling on enigmatic players whose career hasn't Uh, quite gone the way it was supposed to do. I think I know who you're talking about. Well, my evidence for this last year, do you remember last year they signed Ravel Morrison at Mm -hmm. at the start of the season? He played one game and then he was sent off on home to Middlesbrough. But Chris Wilder was willing to give it a go, right, to see if he could get something out of Ravel Morrison. This year, he assigned Ollie Burke. Yeah, yes. I went down an Ollie Burke research hole last night. I know far too much about Ollie Burke and what's right with him and what's wrong with him. All right, I want to hear it uh, because I was aware of this because it was a swap deal. You don't really ever get those these days, but it was a swap deal with West Brom, yep. uh, who I'll be talking about later. But yeah, tell me about Ollie Burke, because I want to know why it didn't work out for the amount of money put in by West Brom. So Ollie Burke has all the attributes to be the ultimate all-round striker. He is six foot two. He's strong. He is super fast, right? So he's athletically perfect to be an all-round striker. Um, he's got quick feet, so it's not like he's clumsy or anything. So he should have everything, right? But apparently, this is a great athletic, excuse me, athletic article I read. Every coach who has coached him in either kinder or harsher words has said, basically, he's kind of a dummy when it comes to positioning and all-around soccer IQ. Hmm. So in his career, he started off at Forest. 
He went to RB Leipzig, who I think took a gamble on all the attributes I just mentioned. Um, West Brom signed him, and then he's also been loaned to Celtic and to Alaves in La Liga, right? Here's a, a couple of quotes from coaches that have coached Oli Burke. Brendan Rodgers, when he got him at Celtic, said, when I first saw him and I played him up front as a striker, some of his positions weren't natural. You observe that and ask, why is he there? Was oh Brendan Rodgers' takeaway from watching him? Oh boy. And then Ralph Hasenhutl, current Southampton coach, but coached him at RB Leipzig back in the day, referred to Ali Burke's knowledge of working without the ball as, brace yourself, Taylor, because this is harsh, an empty hard drive. Oh. File not found when it comes to oh. soccer IQ and positioning for Ali Burke. Um, and from what I've read, he's only been successful when coaches would literally spend the entire week before a match working with him and showing him where he needs to be and what he needs to do. So either Chris Wilder is just willing to give it a go and like get Ali Burke to play some role in the Sheffield United system. And, you know, he's willing to put all that work in throughout the week or he's going to do the thing of, all right, we signed him on that, that swap deal. Didn't cost us any money. I'm going to throw him out there at the end of games and see what happens. Because, as we said, six foot two, strong, fast and can finish, right? So he's definitely got something to offer. I think this is a huge Chris Wilder gamble. Here's my specific prediction. Ali Burke will come off the bench and score a goal for Sheffield United next season. But that will be it. One goal only. So you don't think he's going to figure him out? You don't think it's all no, going to come together finally? I, don't, I just think it's too much work to teach him, especially a Sheffield United system, which is a little bit complicated. Um, but I do think he'll you know, come off the bench and his pace and power and all that sort of stuff will have an impact just the once and everybody will get really excited. But then you, there'll be some, maybe people who don't know the backstory will be thinking, why haven't we seen Ollie Burke again? He looked really good that one time. So here's where I'm stuck though, is like, I can't tell if that's just laziness and a lack of attention to detail and he's just not he's just not into film sessions, he's not into that level of prep and so he doesn't really hold in his mind. He doesn't really internalize it. It's like me when I was in math and would just be paying attention to something else. So I would know like, oh, x equals 2, but not know how we got there in the first place. <laughs> and I wonder if it's that or maybe if it's a communication thing that he just doesn't like maybe his managers are are assuming he understands things things assuming he knows things and he doesn't. So then when you're trying to communicate with him in shorthand, it's already sort of a lost message I just can't I just can't figure that it would be a professional just sort of not knowing how to play the game or not understanding what's being asked of him so maybe I'm hoping it's Chris Wilder will figure out a way to communicate that finally clicks and makes sense I mean I really hope so because it'd be nice to see right I did Mm -hmm. um, obviously when you use Scout, there'll probably be a few people listening to the show who've used Scout. you can look at off the ball runs right so I went back and had a good long look at a lot of Oli Burke off the ball runs oh dear yeah, I, and I could really see what they were talking about. There are a lot of things where he would make runs that would block up channels and like bring other defenders closer to the striker that has the ball. You know what I'm saying? Or he would make runs where he would run away from the play and make it harder to get the ball to him. So I think it's just some people just have that natural soccer IQ where they know the correct run to make and some people don't. But Oli Burke is a professional footballer because he has everything else right he has all the other tools but he doesn't have that one key tool he's not Xavi let's put it that way (laughs) I mean that one key tool is sort of an important tool it is right right but you and I could have all the all the soccer IQ but if we don't have like the pace or technique or the strength then we're useless as well right 
Are you saying I'm not going to get to six two in my life? Because I'm, I'm still holding out hope. Yeah, keep stretching. Keep stretching. Reach for the scars. Reach for the stars, Tyler. <laughs> I bought those horses specifically to pull me apart. If that doesn't happen, if I don't get taller from that, I'm really out of luck here. <laughs> so I sense I've gone a little long on Sheffield United, but I, I had to take you down the Oli Burke hole with me because I think it's absolutely fascinating. Um, I have a feeling that we will have talked about Oliver Burke more than any other podcast yes. <laughs> doing Premier League previews, so I'm good with true. it. The only other thing I want to mention is, obviously, mm-hmm. um, I'm blanking on his name, Dean Henderson was the like standout keeper for Sheffield United on loan from Manchester United last season. Obviously, United were so impressed they called him back. That's the danger of having a keeper on loan, right? Um, but the replacement that they've signed is Aaron Ramsdale, who I can't say I paid him a lot of attention to, but a lot of people were very impressed with his performances for Bournemouth last season as they got relegated they spent 18.5 million on Aaron Ramsdale to replace Dean Henderson so I'm going to say good transfer business for Sheffield United in terms of adding strength in depth and then a massive gamble on Ollie Burke that at the very least will be fun to watch what happens so we're not doing predicted place in the table or anything like that but generally speaking is it safe to assume then that you're saying you would expect more of the same from them and a like comfortably mid-table finish yes let's say that I have okay. no idea, honestly. I have no That's idea. Because honestly, it could be that teams figure out the wide overload thing and teams have an answer for it this year. It could be that Chris Wilder did really well with a consistent start in 11 and now he starts to add some depth and maybe it doesn't quite work as well. You just never know, do you? And honestly, every Premier League preview that isn't very specific predictions should just say, you just never know. Yeah, I, I really like, I found that when I made that list of the top 10, that I ended up putting it into like three categories of like first and second and then third, fourth, fifth, and maybe sixth and then the rest after that. Like it's it's tough to know because you could make compelling arguments for or against pretty much anybody uh, in the top 10 to 12 places. Yep. Well, since it's hard to guess what's going to happen in the future, you might want to take advantage of today's sponsor, Policy Genius. Policy Genius will help you shop and compare and save when you buy life insurance. You could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. That's right. Policy Genius is an insurance marketplace built and backed by a team of experts. Uh, basically, the easy way to make it work, you go to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. You then apply for the lowest price. That makes sense. Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape. It's With no pushiness. Steps, With no pushiness. Three steps. I like three steps. Three steps is great. That's all you need, right? Three There's steps. no sub-steps. There's no like... Step A, 1-4, like you're not getting into that like uh, nitty gritty. It's right there. <laughs> Policy Genius works for you. That's worth remembering. They're not working for any of these insurance companies. They're helping you find the best possible life insurance. And they even have policies which allow eligible customers to skip the in-person medical exam and do it over the phone. How's about that? So about if that? you need life insurance, all you got to do, go to policygenius.com right now and get started. And once again, you could save $1,500 or more a year by comparing quotes on their marketplace. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right, Policy Genius. There we are. Thank you to Policy Genius for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you to Daryl for previewing Sheffield United. Thank you to Southampton for being exciting again so that I'm excited to preview them. Yes, you're convinced. You're finally convinced. I am, and I'm a little worried because I know that you already love Ralph Hasenhutl, or at least, at the very least, find him very interesting and uh, to be a compelling coach. Yeah, if not, if not, maybe a little harsh in his Ali Burke assessment. Are you are you aware of uh, what he did this summer? No. Okay, I'm excited because I think it's going to make you like you might be a full on Southampton fan at some point. <laughs> uh, but as a refresher, uh, very quickly, last season they started two, two, and eight. 
Uh, they then go on an eight, two, and seven run pre-COVID, five, three, and one afterwards. Big part How of very this American is of you. To... Thank you. Well, you're starting did with they the make the because I want to. Uh, they did not make the playoffs. <laughs> just outside of the playoffs, but maybe this year. Maybe this year. But uh, the reason why I go back to that is just to explain there that a big part of it was that Hazen Hudel was not playing his style. He yeah. wasn't kind of playing the football that he's come up with, playing the football that made uh, Leipzig where they are, uh, and that is when he shifted to that style, shift to a back four, more emphasis on pressing, playing higher as a unit, uh, making sure Danny Ings scores all the goals. Uh, they end up having the success. He gets a new four-year deal, but he's not done, Daryl Grove, because he goes away this summer, and when he returns from vacation with his family, he has a playbook. And I don't mean a playbook of like drawn-up set pieces. I mean a digital manual backed up by video clips that will basically form the club's philosophy and set a blueprint for for everyone from the coaching staff to academy players. Here's the quote from Carl Anka uh, when he was still writing about Southampton before he moved on uh, to Man United. Southampton under 18 player, a U18 player, will now learn all of the first team uh, automatisms uh, so that when they finally graduate to the senior team, their adaptation will be automatic. So basically, there is now a blueprint at Southampton for how they're going to play. Everybody's going to be steeped in that style. The academies have moved from possession to pressing and how to tr- like transition to attack. It's Red Bull, so they're right? basically building this model for years to come. And I feel like that's a thing that's going to make you happy. Yeah, it's like an unofficial Red Bull team. I'm really yeah. fascinated by it. And I'm, I'm almost glad to see it without the branding. <laughs> to see it <laughs> yes. just come through a coach who's really committed to this idea, right? It's not about selling energy drinks. It's just about the way Ralph Hasenhutl thinks soccer should be played. The mm-hmm. The worrying thing is that I know Southampton have kind of done this before. I think when Pochettino was there, his style mm-hmm. went top to bottom. But all it takes is for first team results to go wrong and get relegation threatened um, or for Hasenhutl to get poached by someone There's else. That. And suddenly you might find that those U18s have learned a system that gets ripped up and someone else is coming in with a whole with a whole different style. But for it's now, possible. it sounds really good. Well, except that like you go back to Potts at Southampton for a moment and Potts has this style that then, in my mind, they bring in Kuman to kind of continue that, that he's going to coach in the same way. Where it makes less sense is when like Claude Puel comes in mm-hmm. and it becomes more about like slow possession and slow buildup. And that seems to go against the grain. My understanding or my expectation would be that if Hasenhutl did move on or took a front office job and wasn't the manager anymore, they will look for people in that style. So maybe that's Jesse Marsh's next gig. We never know, Daryl, but Ooh. I won't be surprised if they kind of keep that blueprint and bring in people who are familiar with the systems. But I also think, speaking of familiarity with the system, that means they're going to bring through young players, and that is my first specific prediction for Southampton. Uh, I think Will Smallbone will play over 1,000 minutes this season, which doesn't sound like that big of a prediction, and maybe it isn't, but I'm excited about Will Smallbone, and you, Daryl, should be too. Yeah, so I've heard his name a lot. Mm -hmm. I heard basically Southampton fans and Southampton writers mentioning him as a player that Hasenhutl liked and they all expected to see him in the first team at some mm-hmm. point. But I couldn't tell you what sort of player he is. I'm hoping you can tell me. I can tell you some things. Uh, 20-year-old Republic of Ireland central midfielder who signed his first pro contract in February of 2017. He makes his senior debut in January of 2020. So three years or so of not getting much time. He makes his Premier League debut in February of 2020. It's because Hasenhutl likes him as much as he did. Um, and he's basically a 
semi-slight. I'd say I think he's like five eight, uh, not the heaviest of fellows, uh, but still battles for everything and is very good at like playing on a swivel. So there's lots of passes that come are coming into his feet, and it's almost like the Tiago turn on occasion that he'll do that little like turn and play in a diagonal way into space. He'll play his teammates in. He's really good in that sort of pivot role and keeping the ball moving, and he'll need to be because uh, Hoiberg has moved on. Hoiberg yeah. has moved on to Tottenham, which means Southampton, as I understand it, only have three central midfielders right now. Uh, they're going to need more. They have Oriel Romeo, they have James Ward-Prowse, and they have Will Smallbones. So though he only played about 300 minutes last season, I'm going to expect that to at least triple this time round, not just because of the lack of depth, but because I think uh, Hasenhutl likes him and I think wants to show if you're a youngster coming through and you play the way I'm asking and you do what I'm asking of you, then you're going to get minutes and you're going to be rewarded. Well, if there's only three midfielders right now and he's the mm-hmm. third choice, then I'd say a thousand minutes is probably low, right? You'll probably end up getting more. But there's also room for signing. There's still time for signings, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, that would be my, if not like prediction, if not guarantee, then prediction, they will sign another central midfielder. Yeah. Uh, he talked about that today, I believe, that they're still looking to strengthen, but they're not going to rush those decisions. They have made a couple other acquisitions. Uh, they have Kyle Walker Peters was made permanent, yeah. which uh, made me happy, not just because he was good last season, but because I've been watching the Tottenham documentary. He's quite likable in that one, yeah. even when Deli Ali hits his car. Still <laughs> likable. Uh, and then Mohamed Salisu, 21-year-old left-footed center back from Valladolid. Uh, so we've got more defenders coming in, which is probably a necessary thing. They need a little bit more depth there. The biggest question for the season is going to be where will the goals come from? Because Danny they Ings. all came from Danny Yang's last season. Can't exactly. they just do that again? 22 goals, one off the golden boot. He scored 43% of all of their Premier League goals. Um, he is probably going to need a little bit of support this time round, and he did not really get that last year. Michael Obafemi, Shane Long, and Shea Adams scored nine between them. That's a slightly different number than the 22 from Danny Ings. So that is a little bit of a headache, I think, for Hasan Hoodle, is making sure that there's a tiny bit more diversity, because though Danny Ings, I think, statistically performed about as expected, he didn't overperform, he didn't underperform, but there's still that worry and concern if all of the burden is on one person who's also leading your line and is the one who sort of triggers the press— if something happens to him, if he goes into a bad uh, patch of form, how do you compensate for that? How do you change it up? I think that will be a big question mark. I don't even have a prediction about that one because I think it's a bit of a head-scratcher and I'm not a professional manager. Unless, Daryl, you want to take a shot at it. How do you fix things? I mean, honestly, I don't think it's a thing that needs fixing. I think if there you have go. one guy that scores all your goals and he consistently does it, I don't think it's a problem. I think Danny Ings is all action, always reliable. It's not like he has any patches of laziness or anything like that. So I... I mean, honestly, I think it's the kind of thing you read in previews. I was kind of surprised to hear you say it, that like that Danny Ings needs some support. I don't think he does. I think he's happy to just keep banging in goals. And I think everyone around yeah. him will be happy to see Danny Ings keep banging in goals. That's not my concern. My concern is what happens if. Like, it, it, what happens to Tottenham without Harry Kane is they stop scoring goals. What happens to Danny Ings, or what happens to Southampton if Danny Ings gets an injury and you don't have reliable backups, you don't have reliable deputies, and you don't have plan B? That would be where my concern is for them. But again, it's a minor concern because thus far it's worrying about a thing that hasn't happened yet, which is why I'm not predicting it. I'm just sort of pointing out that it could be a potential issue. What I am predicting, and I should have probably asked you before we started recording about your thoughts on the current England squad and how they played recently because I did not watch, but by all accounts it was pretty grim. But my bonus prediction is that James Ward-Prowse will make Gareth Southgate's England squad or at the very least be very, very close to it. Did you see what James Ward-Prowse did? No. So England beat Iceland away 1-0, right? They scored a, England scored a penalty like either in the late 80s or 90-somethingth minute. England go 1-0 ahead. 
a minute later, Joe Gomez yeah. drags someone down in the box and Iceland have a penalty and a chance to equalise. While it's all being debated and complained about, James Ward-Prowse oh, yeah. stands yeah. on the spot and scuffs it up and scuffs it. it up and makes a good go of like distracting the referee so he can do it for just a little bit longer. Really makes a mess of the penalty spot. Um, and then when the uh, Icelandic player, I want to say it was Bjornsson, um, steps up, he skies it over the bar. And I'm sure James Ward-Prowse had something to do with it. I like it. I like it. Uh, and I think Gareth Southgate will like the fact that, number one, uh, James Ward-Prowse will be the captain from the start of this season. I think he was handed the armband at the end of last year, but is now fully on the club captain. Um, and this is a central midfielder who will then be able to press effectively, defend well, help facilitate attacks, and apparently scuff up the penalty spot. Maybe not the penalty spot part, who knows. But the rest of that, I have to believe, is something that Gareth Southgate will want. And I think that you have this senior figure who's going to be leading the team, but organizing the team, and like uh, facilitating all of these different roles. I just think that we will see him sort of have this rise to where it's not even a, like, yeah, he's in that squad, but not quite. Like, he's not on that list of Chelsea, Man United, Man City, Liverpool players. But I do think he's going to end up making that team, and I think he'll make them better for it. I, I mean... Uh- I don't think it'd be a bad thing if he makes it to Euro, I'm going to call it Euro 2021. But I do think the England midfield is like super competitive. There's just all kinds of players vying for a spot right now. Um, Like Calvin Phillips has been added to the list, for example. Um, I actually think a better shot at the England team is Danny Ings. I mean, you know that I've been on the Danny Ings train for a while when it comes to him making England. I think you forgot that Danny Ings existed when we were listing potential England. He was the last suggestion that was suddenly like, oh, yes, that guy. Yes, that's the guy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I didn't include that because I think Danny Ings will just go. It's interesting because he wouldn't have necessarily. He still would have had to earn his spot if it happened right now. Do you know what I'm saying? Like he's not mm-hmm. quite there yet. I'm not sure Southgate's all in as much as Southampton fans and a few observers like you and I are. Yeah, well, I guess what I mean is more that like I'm trying to think of somebody who's maybe not going to start ever. Like I, I feel like that would be the equivalent to me of like Kyle Walker is going to go to the Euros. It's a little bit like that with Danny Yings, where Kyle Walker has competition. Maybe that's a bad example, but you know what I mean. There's that player who, like, they're not going to be the starter, but they're comfortably going to make the team. That's where I put Danny Yings, at least right now. To give you a snapshot of Danny Yings' England career, I've just pulled it up. He got one cap in 2015, um, and then he came on late in that that Iceland game uh, recently to get his second cap. So he's definitely not an established England player just yet. No. Uh, yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. But he will be, Daryl. He will be. And so too will James Ward-Prowse, Southampton taking over. And then they'll probably be sold to Liverpool or something like that. <laughs> Any other predictions for me? Uh, nope, just the two. All right. I, I want to just point out Nathan Redmond, because I think Nathan Redmond is a magnificent player and just someone yes. worth keeping an eye on anytime you watch Southampton. I, you will get no arguments from me, yeah. my friend. And I'm really excited to see Will Smallbone. I didn't know he was Irish. I'm slightly disappointed he's not another... English midfielder we can add to the list. but um, No, but you've got Michael Obafemi in there, the, the young Ireland striker as well. So Southampton taking care of Ireland, potentially. That makes me happy. Yeah, that could work out. That could work out. You want to talk Tottenham? Sure. Okay. Here's my big take. Aside from the obvious need for a Harry Kane backup, which they still have not figured out, I like what Spurs have done this summer. So I do too. I'm giving their transfer activity a big check mark, but also a big asterisk because there's still no Harry Kane backup. Um, well, there's that. So actually, let's start with the bad news. All right. I'm going to say right now that the striker, this is my prediction, the striker crisis will repeat itself. Yep. Because right now they haven't signed anyone. I know they're like rumored to be looking at Arkadiusz Milik and Patson Daka, but it hasn't happened yet. Right. And the plan B, if Harry Kane gets injured, seems to be 
play Deli Ali up front or play uh, Song Hyung Min up front. Yeah. And really, neither of those guys are proper strikers, right? They're attacking midfielders. They're not. They're not people who should be playing centre forward. So I think any um, interruption to Harry Kane being able to play every game and Spurs are going to find themselves in a little bit of trouble. If it happens the same again where Son and Ali get injured, then they're going to be in the exact same situation they were um, in the first part of 2020. I'm shocked that we're what uh, we're recording this what, on Thursday. Spurs play on Saturday. And they still haven't signed a striker. I would have guaranteed you they'd have signed someone in the uh, the gap between the end of last year and the start of this year. Uh, Daryl, I know uh, I may have mentioned this previously, but Ryan and I are going to be reviewing the first six episodes of All or Nothing, the Spurs documentary, uh, later on next week. Uh, but I don't know how much of it you've seen. But the other thing for me is that Harry Kane, like, I know he's the captain, and I know we know that the captain is important, but he is the one who, more often than not, is is giving the final team talk before the game starts. Yeah. He was the one in that documentary who, when things, when things were not going well, was the one to kind of stand up in the meeting and say, like, yeah, I'm tired of this. Like, it's not working. I want to know what's going on. Like, he holds that team accountable and holds his teammates accountable, and I'm with you. It is really, really a, an issue if they if they don't replace him, if they don't add more depth, because from a leadership standpoint, it will be massive. But then obviously from a goal scoring on field performance standpoint, equally massive. So yeah. doubly massive uh, if he's not there. And they found that out last season. And just to underscore how important he is, the, and Spurs fans might be mad hearing me say this because they, they don't like hearing this. Right. But I think Harry Kane is just a magnificent center forward. He's obviously so great at just finding a tiny bit of space and shooting and like bending it around a keeper. He, obviously, he's shooting is this incredible um i'm gonna say like world-class elite level thing that he's got but he's Wild also want to hear this he's also great in the air he's also really good at coming back and uh back to goal receiving the ball turning around and playing people like uh uh son young min or stephen bergwine playing them through and he's great at just knocking it down for delhi ali right so he's so key to everything that spurs do um this is the bad part that as soon as he's not there the system kind of falls apart yeah, that's the yeah, bad part. That makes sense. Yeah, and I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure we said this in previous seasons, and I'm just shocked that Spurs haven't managed to uh, to address it in some way. Now you're not pulling a Taylor here, are you? They haven't actually signed a striker, and we've just kind of forgotten about it because so too did they. Was it Fernando Llorente that I forgot they had? Yes, it was. It was, but, but he's, so did they. he's not so there anymore. Not and Milik and Daka are not there. They're just rumored. There's no one. No one has been signed to understudy Harry Kane just yet. Um, all right, but here's the signings I do like. I like the signing of uh, Pierre-Emil Hjoyberg and Matt Doherty. Um, yep. Putting aside my emotional feelings about Matt Doherty as a Wolves fan, like I kind of wish he hadn't left, I think he's an absolutely magnificent signing for Spurs um, on, on both counts, on both counts. Um, first and where of all, will he play for people who are less familiar with him? Matt Doherty is going to play right back and Pierre-Emil Hjoyberg is going to be... I want to say defensive midfielder, but he's an all-round midfielder. So he's going to win yeah. a lot of balls, but he's also going to be really useful um, playing the ball out, holding onto the ball. Pierre-Emil Hjoyberg can do a bit of everything. Um, I want to start with him, actually. I think he's the, the player they really, really needed. Because when you were picking a Spurs midfield before, you would have, say, um, say the combination is Eric Dyer and Harry Winks, right, at the base of a Spurs midfield. You've got Dyer, who's great at defending and winning the ball, but can't really create anything. And you've got Winks, who's really great with the ball, but not any kind of defensive presence. So you were always mixing and matching and trying to like, 
take two pieces to build a hall. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, in Pierre Hoiberg, they have someone who is the complete player. And he's not going to be flash necessarily, uh, but he is going to do all kinds of winning the ball and then being really useful once he's got it. So here's my first specific prediction. Hoiberg will lead Spurs in combined tackles, interceptions, and ball recoveries. I like that prediction yeah. quite a bit because he's also one I would assume that Jose Mourinho earmarked as that's a guy I want. He will make my midfield better. Yes, absolutely. I think watching the All or Nothing documentary, I'm trying not to be too influenced by that, but I'm mm-hmm. really taken with the idea of Mourinho keep telling them, you all seem very nice. Yep. I need you to be a bit more nasty. Yeah, none of you were mean to me in the locker room yes. or in the tunnel or something like that. Yeah, And this dates all the way back to um, the famous Roy Keane uh, anecdote about Alex yeah. Ferguson one day saying to them, yeah. come on, lads, it's Spurs. And then just go ahead and beat Tottenham. them. Yeah, yep. come on, lads, it's Tottenham. They're just like a kind of an easy touch. Less and less so over the years, but they've never been mm. nasty, right? So I would argue that Hjoiberg and Doherty, not that they're nasty necessarily, they're not Kevin Muscat, um, or they're not Nigel de Young, but they are just really competitive guys who are ready to play right now, right? They're not young up-and-comers with something to prove. They're guys who can go straight in the first team and improve that team and make it more competitive. That's why I think they're absolutely brilliant signings. Um, it, it also, I want to stick with that for a moment about them not being nasty enough, because I just want to say... It also explains the song Red Card a little bit more because that always seemed so yeah. strange to me. But it feels like he just internalized what Jose Mourinho was saying. If you've got to fight more, you got to be a little bit nasty. So he does just that, but then he gets a red card for yep. it. So it seems like he, he also has embraced Mourinho as a manager. It seems like most of that team has. So I think if they're bringing in players who will do the same, and it sounds like Hoiberg will, I think it's going to work out pretty well. Yeah, I think Hoiberg's going to be absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Um, then Matt Doherty, I think the big thing he's going to bring for Spurs on that right flank um, is winning balls in the air, weirdly. Um, I, I mean, he offers more than that, but it, one thing he's really good at is if you play a big diagonal out to the right flank and Matt Doherty's there, he's quite often going to win it. So Spurs do this a lot under under uh, Jose Mourinho. Yeah. They'll go long to Kane and he'll knock it down for Deli Alli or they'll go long and like look to get Son in behind on a flick on or something like that. I think if you you can't do that with Serge Aurier, right? You can't send Serge Aurier forward and ask him to win a header on the right flank. Suddenly, Spurs can hit a big diagonal to the right and it can be Matt Doherty heading it down for Stephen Bergwijn to run onto or like to, for Harry Kane to receive. Like It's not all on Harry Kane to win the aerial balls. You'll have Matt Doherty winning wide aerial balls as well. I think that's going to be part of the plan. We'll talk about it a little bit more when we get to Wolves, but I'm also su- surprised that Jose Mourinho doesn't just sort of pilfer Nuno squads. Because <laughs> if you're looking at a team that is defensive but hits on the break really effectively, plays a very like specific style of football, that is Wolves and that is Jose Mourinho. So I think it also makes a lot of sense from that perspective yep. that he's a right back who can do the defensive job, be very disciplined, li- listen to tactical instruction and specifically adjust to tactical instruction, but then also still get involved in the attack. It ticks a lot of boxes. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I can't quantify it, so I can't really make it a specific prediction. But I think there'll be a marked increase in big direct balls to the right flank aimed at Matt Doherty um, to knock down for people to to run onto. Um, what else have we got? Um, oh, here's is my, ta- my... Is Ndombele still alive? So, yeah, Ndombele is still there. Um, he is not apparently, like, up for sale or anything like that. Like, no one's negotiating to to sign him. But I don't see him breaking that first team this year, right? He is... I feel like wherever Mourinho goes, he's really friendly with a lot of people, but he always has one, um, yep. Michael, he's Michael Scott, and there's a player who's Toby from HR. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? 
Yep. It just takes a dislike to him uh, for whatever reason. So I guess we just, I think we won't see much of Ndombele for, for much of the season. Another player I think you won't see as much of as we might like to is Ryan Sessegnon. Oh, yeah. So my <laughs> prediction is that Ryan Sessegnon will play less than a thousand minutes this season. How many did he play last year? Do you know? He only played six games. So right. that can't be more than a thousand minutes. So yeah, probably yeah. the same again for Ryan Sessegnon. I think there was a bit of an injury in the middle of that season, but from what I've seen from uh, Jose Mourinho's Spurs, he really likes Ben Davies at left back, mm-hmm. right? He likes, yeah. and Ben Davies is kind of a stay at home left back. He's, you know, he can kind of play centre back as well. So I think it'll be Ducky getting forward down the right and Davies staying home on the left. And when Ryan Sessegnon plays left back, it's a very different proposition, right? It's an attacking left back player. And also, much as he would like to be thought of differently, Jose Mourinho is not good at bringing young players through and nurturing them and giving them chances unless they're like a Joseph Tanganga defensive type player that he can rely on, essentially. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I think to the extent that Sessegnon ends up sort of deputizing for Son a lot of of the time. I don't think he was even necessarily like a go-to left back option. I think that ended up being Danny Rose until he was sent out on loan. Yeah. Uh, So who knows if maybe he gets some minutes there. But yeah, I'm with you that I think Ben Davies is number one. I've just realized I've called him Joseph Tanganga again. It's Jaffet Tanganga. Jaffet Tanganga. I apologize, Mr. Tanganga. Um, so, yeah, I don't think we'll see as much of Ryan Sessegnon as we would like to see because we're all excited about him, right? Um, yeah. Here's my overall big prediction, though. It's not it's not a Premier League prediction, to give you a clue. Mm-hmm. Spurs and Mourinho will win a trophy this season. It's going to be the EFL Cup, the FA yeah. Cup, or maybe the Europa League. But I think the squad he's put together is absolutely capable of winning a trophy. It's not capable of winning the Premier League. It is capable of winning a trophy. So I think Spurs will lift some silverware and the Jose Mourinho prophecy will be fulfilled. I think that's a really smart prediction because I think like you can see moments where he, I think he sort of knows this is his last chance. That if this doesn't go well, if he flames out again, or if his if his style of play, if his tactics are called into question again, he's not going to be looked at for those big-time jobs. And I think he knows that pressure is there, and I think you alleviate that to some extent by winning at least some silverware so you can point to that as progress in the right direction. So yeah, to that, to that level, I won't be surprised if he prioritizes a full-strength ter- full team in the FA Cup over a Premier League game or really going for that Europa League. That won't surprise me yeah. either. I think that's a pretty good shout, Mr. Grove. And one final note before we move on. I think I, I, think I really like that Mourinho did last year um, that I, I'm pretty sure he'll continue with this year is uh, moving Eric Dyer to a permanent centre-back position. I, I think it suits him. I think he's been a great performer there. I think it essentially fills the hole left by Jan Vertonghen. Um, mm-hmm. So now you've got an Alderweireld who signed a new contract, right? Because I saw it all yep. or nothing. I didn't imagine that. Um, Alderweireld and Eric Dyer centre-back partnership. You've got Davison Sanchez to come in and you've got Jaffet Tenganga as the fourth centre-back if needed. So I kind of think Spurs are sorted at centre-back and they've There's got nothing to, nothing to worry about in terms of contracts for the first time in a while. There's one more centre-back name, Mr. Grove. Cameron Carter-Vickers has not been sent yep. out on loan again, has he? Not yet. That not is, yet. That's worth thinking about, isn't it? That maybe yeah. Cameron Carter-Vickers might be the type of player that Jose Mourinho likes and so might get to be part of the Spurs first-team squad. If you think about what he kept saying, that there's not a lot of fight, there's not enough physicality, there's not enough meanness to that team, 
That is how Cameron Carter-Vickers plays. He is good in the air. He is physical. He is going to challenge people. He's going to knock them off the ball. It would not surprise me at all if he showed up to preseason and bodied some people and instantly stood out, and that's why we haven't seen him go on loan. Will he stay there the whole season? I don't know. Will he get any minutes? I don't know. I would lean towards probably not, but I'm excited that it seems like he at least has got his small toe in the door. I think as well, the way a Mourinho team passes versus the way a Pochettino team passes yeah. suits Cameron Carter-Vickers a little bit more, right? They go direct and long a little bit more. And Cameron Carter-Vickers has pretty accurate direct passing. He can find Harry Kane's head. Uh, but Cameron Carter-Vickers can't like wiggle his way out of trouble and find a very tight ball into central midfield to the feet mm. of uh, Sissoko. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. CCV may be better suited to Mourinho. We may be getting ahead of ourselves, but you never know, right? You never know. Things have been going very well for Americans in Europe lately. I have my red, white, and blue glasses on. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, before we move on to West Bromwich Albion, um, oh today's show is sponsored by Hims. Um, Taylor, how's your hair? Uh, I mean, it's still there. You still for the good? Most part. You're, you're yeah. still good. I'd just like to check in on you because 66% of men start to lose their hair by the age of 35. And once you've noticed thinning hair, it can be too late. And Taylor, I haven't seen you in a good long while. So I, I didn't know if maybe you'd, uh, you'd join the 66%. No, I've, I've grown it all back. <laughs> I, yeah, I had the Jeremy Piven procedure. Now I have a full head of hair. <laughs> uh, I have not had that, but you don't have to do that. You don't have to cut off hair from other parts of your body and glue it onto your forehead. I think that's how it works. <laughs> you could go with a slightly more cost-effective, less invasive procedure like the uh, things offered by Hims, which is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men, as we've said previously. But yeah, they make it easy to deal with a situation like losing your hair, which is a situation that many people experience. They offer prescription solutions backed by science. You don't have to go to an in-person doctor's visit or wait in line at a pharmacy. For Hims will connect you with a licensed medical professional online that will save you time and it's all completely confidential and discreet. You just answer a few quick questions and the medical professional will review um, and if they determine it's right for you, you'll be prescribed medication to treat hair loss and it'll be shipped directly to your door. And Hims have a pretty good offer for our listeners, right Taylor? They do. Uh, today, Hims is giving you their best offer. Yet, if you're not happy with their results after 90 days, Hims will, will give you a full refund. Right now, our listeners can get their first visit absolutely free. Go to forhims.com slash total soccer. That's F O R H I M S dot com slash total soccer. Wow. Imagine if you could get that on transfer fees 90 day refund if you suddenly change your mind. Uh, I think a lot of teams would take that one. Yeah. Um, here's the disclaimer. Um, full refund of price paid available for first 90-day supply. Refund request must be made between 90 and 180 days after product shipment is delivered. Prescription products require an online consultation with a medical professional who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. And remember, to take advantage of this offer, it's forhims.com slash totalsucker. All right, so let's talk to the the action team, the one we're all here for. It's West Bromwich <laughs> Albion. Daryl, I know that you're very excited to hear about them. You've got a lot of strong feelings towards them. I'll, when did your love for West Brom first begin? I'll be honest, I'm interested because I didn't pay a lot mm-hmm. of attention to West Brom last year. Um, as a Wolves fan, I'm meant to have this like um, like hatred for West Brom. I mm-hmm. kind of just don't have it. I've been to a load of West Brom games just because they're a Midlands team and I've got friends who are West Brom fans. So... I have no antipathy towards West Bromwich Albion. I also don't have a lot of knowledge about them. So I'm just interested to hear about them. Yeah. There's no hate well, in my heart, have... Taylor. No hate in my heart. 
I have some knowledge about them from researching them for this preview. I have some knowledge about wolves from researching from them for this preview. I will say that, Daryl, if you have friends who are Wolves fans who hate West Brom, they're going to have a good season. <laughs> um, West Brom, I think, are going to be in a little bit of trouble this time around. They got here by finishing second in the championship. They were never outside of the top two in the championship since September, which makes it seem like they were like an elite performer that were always going to be here. In reality, they sort of limp across the finish line. They're winless in their final four games. It takes... I believe a draw on the final day. They draw two to two, uh, which is the only reason they avoided the playoffs. Uh, if they had lost that game, then Brentford go up automatically and into the playoffs go West Brom. Um, and that promotion was not necessarily expected or planned for, which is sort of an issue, according to the Guardian. It's basically cost them forty million pounds because of bonuses, transfer fees. The absence of match day revenue due to coronavirus, all of that combined puts them in sort of a hole, which means they can't really invest that much. They're only looking to spend about £28 million this window, and they've pretty much already spent that. So they're not going to be that strong of a team, I don't think. I don't think they're going to have that much depth, but they at least have a lot of familiarity because what they have done is basically made a bunch of loan moves from last season permanent. They've made uh, Mateus Pereira from uh, Sporting CP, 24-year Brazilian central midfielder. He's going to be the kind of string puller in their attack. He is now there permanently. Uh, Filip Krovinovic, the 25-year-old Croatian midfielder from Benfica. A lot of Portuguese uh, teams getting rated this summer. They're currently pursuing him, but it seems very likely they will bring him back. Uh, they've brought back Callum Robinson to be their striker to facilitate some goals, ideally. But that was the, big the, one I that was the Oli Burke switch, right? Yes, the big one I want to talk about, Daryl, I'm really excited about, is Grady Diangana. Are you familiar with him at all? Because I was not. The only thing I'm familiar with is in my West Ham research, I found mm-hmm. out that a lot of West Ham fans are very, very, very unhappy um, that Grady Diangana was allowed to go to West Brom permanently. And they should be. He's a 22-year-old winger, uh, born in England, represents DR Congo internationally. He was on loan from West Ham last season, 30 appearances, 8 goals. So not necessarily like one-for-one type player, but is probably going to be their most exciting player and will be the one who I think gets a lot of the attention, which is why I'm predicting that he will be their most fouled player by far, I would add, but that's not part of the prediction. I'm just saying he'll be the most fouled player because he does a whole bunch of stuff, Dio. You want to hear about it? I do, yeah. What does he do? All right. I really am not sure why West Ham let him go, although there are 18 million reasons why. Uh, In his preseason game playing for West Ham against Ipswich, he is their best player on the field. I I watched a decent amount of of the highlights of that game and then of his specific footage, courtesy of Scout. He has two very good assists in which he receives a ball, takes somebody on, gets past them, cuts it back to the middle for an open forward. So he's creating, he's pulling in defenders, and then he finds space. Uh, He is happy to take people on. He's happy to do some stepovers. He's happy to play simple. He's happy to dribble down that sideline. But I think all of that means he is, in my mind, going to be sort of a Wilfred Zaha figure for West Brom, that he will be the one who I think they sort of lump the ball to and hope he can find a way to facilitate an attack or make something happen. And I think he will try to do that a lot. I did see that as well, him trying to do a little bit too much on occasion. It also does lead to injuries. He only played 1,800 minutes last season, so that could be a factor too. But I think he is going to be the one that is trying stuff, taking people on, trying to get those goals in the final moments, and probably drawing some fouls as a result. So I would say keep an eye on Grady Diangana because I think he will have a very strong season uh, this year for West Brom. And which wing does he play on? either one it seems like he oh, okay. switches from uh from one to the other he is left-footed so he seems most comfortable on the left side as a left-footed like getting to the end line and cutting it back sort of player uh or, like not cutting it back with the ball but like literally getting to the end line and then doing that in-step pass across the top of the box you know what i mean yeah 
yeah, so I think I think he could play there. Uh, or I think that's where he'll end up. He can play on the right side. Uh, Kamil Grzycki, uh can play on the left side as well. So they've got a little bit of variety there. But again, they don't have a whole bunch of depth, uh, West Brom. So I think they're going to be limited in what they're able to do. This is also that same West Brom team who lost uh, Nathan Ferguson. We mentioned him previously. Yeah, right. He left on a free and they stopped playing him basically in the restart because they knew he was leaving. So right now they have Ahmed Hagazi. He's still there, Daryl. I know I know you have sympathy towards him yeah, yeah. or sympathetic feelings. Is he the gigantic Egyptian? That's the one. Yeah. The I forget something of he has a clever nickname, but I forget what it is. Uh, and so they've, they've, that would be their other uh, signing that was not uh, f- with the team last year. Cedric Kipri, 23-year-old center back from Wigan. Uh, he'll probably come in and I'm going to guess get an, an immediate starting spot in that back line. But it's a lot of players that were there in the championship last season. Then they've gone and recruited some championship players. But it's still not a particularly strong team, I would say. I think they'll be fine. I think they know how they want to play. I think they have an identity. I think Slavon Bilic knows how he wants them to play and I think has the familiarity to make that happen. Do you, do you have but a I feel think, for what that identity is? Like what he wants them to do? I think it's it's four two three one. It's it's hard it's not sitting deep, but it's not like pressing. It's sort of a hybrid approach, I would say. Uh and that is part of the problem as well, that last year so many of their attacks were predicated on keeping possession and like moving the ball around and probing for opportunities and then finding a way through. And they're not really going to be able to do that this season. They also don't really have any sort of consistent goal threat. Uh, I think they had 17 different goal scorers last season. So trying to figure out how to get those goals and how to score goals when you're used to having possession and time on the ball, and you obviously are not going to have that this time around, I think is going to be a sort of wake-up call. It's where I think they're really going to have some issues and why I don't think they're going to be particularly strong, at least not to start the season. Just to interrogate this a little mm-hmm. bit, because I don't want us to make the Sheffield United mistake that a lot of people sure. made last year. Mm-hmm. For example, when you say that they had 17 different goal scorers and there wasn't yeah. one main goal scorer, I could see that being framed as a positive, right? That goals came from everywhere. Mm-hmm. You could. From my understanding of things, from what I've read both from fans and there's a good Stats Bomb article that kind of analyzes this, you're right that it could be like they've got so many people attacking, they've got so many different people who are involved in the attack that you can't really shut it down. It's not really that. It's more like, oh, yeah, that guy happened to score. It, it's the, a little bit like the Fulham Joe Bryan thing of like the left back pops up and scores a strange free kick and then happens to be in the right place. I think it's more about they like we're in the right place at the right time, which isn't a problem except that a lot of that is dependent on moving the ball and moving the ball and then finally finding an opening and creating something. And then you have somebody there who's maybe arrived late or popped up in the box at the right moment. If you're going to be in the Premier League and you're not going to have the depth and you're going to be against stronger opposition, you're not going to have that same amount of time on the ball and ability to build. So I don't think you can then get people making those late runs and getting involved and you're not going to commit as many numbers forward. I think they also really struggled to score goals when they weren't playing on the counter. Uh, I think they only got like one goal that wasn't that was on the counter. Everything else was after slow buildup. So again, I think they're going to have to kind of figure out some of those issues before they can really find a way to start getting points. Okay. What else? So what else in West Brom? You've got the, uh, the prediction that um, I've forgotten his name, Grady Diangana. Diangana. Diangana mm-hmm. will be their most foul player. And you've got me excited to watch him um, at least attempt to dribble at some Premier League defenses. 
Yeah, I think I think you should be. I think uh, Mateus Pereira would be the other one. I mentioned him really quickly, but he's the central attacking midfielder who was there last year. Uh, they've got him, I believe, on a permanent deal, uh, and I think will be their starting number ten. He'll be the other one who I think will be tasked with trying to create something. And he's a he's a good, like again, kind of slightly smaller playmaker who. I can conduct the like he basically can pull that ball in, pull in defenders, and then find those openings and find those opportunities. The question just remains: Will he have that time, and will he have the forwards who can help him, like kind of alleviate some of that pressure? Because the goal scorers, Daryl, in case you maybe don't remember who's uh, at West Brom, would be Hal Robson, Kanu, Charlie Austin, and Kenneth Zahore, who was signed from Cardiff City but didn't really have a strong season last year. Charlie Austin, injury and fitness concerns. Hal Robson, Kanu, ten goals in thirty-nine appearances is not the rate of return they were looking for. I am here for the Charlie Austin renaissance, though. The one thing, it could be Charlie Austin. The other thing I will say is that I think in one of their last games, I think that last game uh, in the championship, I forget who it was against. It might have been QPR. Uh, he did turn to, uh, Sullivan Billich turned to Callum Robinson uh, and used him as more of a mobile pressing forward to try to cause problems higher up the pitch. And that did seem to work. So the question then with him being made permanent is, is that going to be their striker? And maybe will they be a bit more proactive? Will they be more pressing? And if so, does that make them more likely to be somebody like Sheffield United who can spring some surprises? It's possible, but I don't know if I feel as confident uh, in predicting that one as I do Grady Dean Ghana just being very good. I don't know what it is, but you've got me almost rooting for West Brom so that mm-hmm. I can come back to this preview and make you listen to it again in six months. I mean, hurtful. <laughs> I think it's just, that, like I think it's just that I think West Brom are, are like... I'm sure West Brom fans will not love this preview. I think they are okay, at least at the moment, with being a yo-yo club. I think they're okay with going up, having a season there. They're not going to break the bank. They're not going to change their model entirely. Yeah. I, I don't think if they're – unless they're completely imploding, I don't think they'll sack Slavon Bilic, even if they are in the relegation zone. I think they're okay with doing that sort of, yeah, we went up this year. We went back down, but we've got the parachute payments. We're going to keep building. We're going to keep developing. Maybe we'll go back up. Maybe we get relegated again. I think they're not – so concerned about that, especially with the kind of COVID economy. We're not sure what's going to happen. As I said, they don't really know their financial state in terms of what they can spend and how long they can continue to spend. So I, that's part of where I think my, not pes- pessimism, but I would say practicality yeah. is coming from. And you know, I definitely agree with you. They've d- they have previous doing this, right? West Brom yeah. have spent a lot of time essentially not spending money, going up yeah. to the Premier League, taking the TV money, then taking the parachute payments, then coming up again a couple of years later and doing the same thing. Yeah. So yeah, it, yeah maybe it wouldn't be a huge surprise if they, if they get relegated and they're not too upset about it. Yeah. I think I just, I keep going back to when, in the moments when I would be like, but they've got this and they've got that. And you could see how that would work. Really that one stat, 77 goals last season in the championship, only one on the counter is a problem. And I think it's a problem because it's not just like they were so dominant that they never had to worry about defending and countering. I think it's just that that was not how they played. They were not trying to play quickly. And so with that, can you do that in the Premier League? I don't know, but I guess we'll soon find out. I guess we will. Are you ready for my West Ham preview? Yes, sir. Okay, so West Ham, a team I always sort of forget about. They're never appointment television. If, I don't know if you feel the same, the same sort of thing. Um, I also feel like they're kind of Island of Misfit Toys as well. Yes. Well, David Moyes kind of fixed that by throwing all the Misfit Toys out of the first team. All right. So David Moyes came in last year and saved West Ham from relegation by making them boring. He really did. He like looked at Felipe Anderson and Yamalenko 
and Sebastian Haller and all these kind of theoretically exciting and definitely very talented players and saying, do you know what's more effective than hoping that you guys produce something? It's playing 4-2-3-1 and having my two defensive midfielders essentially be two extra centre-backs in Rice and Suchek, right? I'm sure you can picture this now if you've seen any West Ham games. Any games we saw, you'd have Rice and Suchek sitting in front of the defenders, right? So it's almost like you've got four centre-backs waiting there. And in the end, what he did was just had everybody defend like that and then just hit kind of direct balls for Mikel Antonio to chase, right? So Mikel Antonio, who's basically a winger, ended up playing centre-forward. But he's such a like a hard worker, hard runner, that he just had him run down all these balls over the top. And you end up with forty five million pound striker Sebastian Haller sitting on the yeah. bench. That is my yeah, that's that's all right. I, I guess that's uh, a way to deal with but it. But you know what? West Ham didn't get relegated and they looked like they, they were about to. Yeah, so there was no more hoping Felipe Anderson dribble could dribble past everybody. No more hoping that Sebastian Haller could pull out some magic. Because he's a very talented player. I've watched a lot of him and I've got a lot more to say about him. Uh, David Moyes just decided this is the safest route. It's to it's to go this way. The, the Does that make you... Can I interject yeah. really quickly? Does that make you... Not that you thought less or you didn't think David Moyes was a very good manager, but does that make you think more of him, that he's able to kind of come in and make what would be a very hard decision to say, like, no, we're not doing that. We spent a lot of money on you, but we're playing this way, and that's how it's going to be. Yeah. Do you like that, or do you think that that was born of the moment and that maybe he's less like that this season? No, I mean, I think it it speaks really well of him as um, a man and as as an analyst or a tactician, right, to be able to come in and say, I see what the problem is. Here's how I'm going to fix it. And then it gets fixed. I, I mean, I think that speaks really well of him. I think it's more evidence that maybe he's always been better at managing at this sort of mid to lower level yeah. than at a Manchester United. But he's, he can definitely solve a problem by essentially taking a team back to basics. And that, that's what he did to West Ham. And I can see that continuing through next season. So how will they look this season then? Well, basically the same, right? 4-2-3-1. Okay. But the thing I left out, there was one bit of excitement in this West Ham team last season, and his name was Jared Bowen. So Jared Bowen was signed in January. So I think he was a Moyes signing. I think Moyes came in before January from Hull. He came in and played essentially, he was described as a budget iron robin. So Jared Bowen, very fast, very left-footed, on the right wing, he got a goal and four assists in 13 Premier League games, which is actually quite a big thing when you've just stepped up to the Premier League. Mm-hmm. So my, my prediction for next season, Jared Bowen with a full season, playing in this Moyes system, five goals, 10 assists, which is really good output from a right winger. Um, and a lot of them are going to be Bowen cutting in on his left foot and not necessarily iron robin like shooting. It's a lot of cutting on your left foot and then crossing to the far post. Um, he also takes the corners. This is the kind of cheat with the 10 assists. He takes all the corners and the free kicks and he's got Suchek and Rice and the two centre-backs and the strikers to aim at. Is he, is he a little bit of a scrapper as well? Yes, yeah. He's not, he's not sort of a fancy winger who's nice and he's all delicate and stuff, yeah. I'm thinking Stephen Pienaar then. It feels like David yeah. Moyes likes that type of winger, like had Stephen Pienaar for a long time, and it feels like maybe a similar model. Yes, and then he likes a tall midfielder, right? Like Maron Fellaini. Um, yes, he does. Tim Cahill, not tall, but like might as well be tall, given how many balls he won in the air. Yeah, so you jump 12 feet Yeah, in the, the Suchek and Rice combo makes, makes the most sense. Tim Cahill, well. half kangaroo. Not a lot of people know that. That's, yeah, it was a genetic experiment gone right. <laughs> so Jared Bowen on the right wing with his left foot is definitely one to keep an eye on I also think having 
essentially saved them last year with this Mikel Antonio upfront situation. I think Sebastian Haller might get another chance and I think he might succeed. I think okay. Felipe Anderson, there are apparently strong rumours that they're looking to sell him because he's just not a David Moyes player, right? He's mercurial. He'll go off on a dribble sometimes, but sometimes won't contribute at all. So Felipe Anderson, I think, is on the outs. Sebastian Haller, if you're not familiar with him, he's, they paid £45 million for him last year. He's six foot three. He is basically the French Ivorian Zlatan. If you watch his highlight reel, he looks like an absolutely magnificent player. He is all rabonas and back heels and acrobatic volleys. Um, and he did score seven goals in 32 games last year. So not, not good, but not awful, right? So here's my prediction. He'll get more games this year. No, he won't get more games. He'll, you know, he'll get back in the starting 11 because he'd fallen out just at the end of the year. He will score the goal of the season. Wow. Sebastian Haller will score the goal of the season. For West Ham or in the Premier League? For West Ham. See, I feel like I always have to drill down on this a little bit more because I feel like w- when he doesn't win the Premier League goal of the season, that's when you'll pivot to... Oh, no, I meant, I meant team goal. Team goal, for sure. <laughs> he He'll will score the best goal of anyone named Sebastian Haller. Sebastian Haller will score some outrageous like right. Zlatan-like volley or a Zlatan-like flying backhill or something that just absolutely blows your mind. Sebastian Haller will do it next year. It's even possible he just reestablishes himself as the starting striker and actually has a really good season. That wouldn't surprise me at all. I've really just got a lot of faith in Sebastian Haller, much more so than in um, Felipe Anderson or Yamalenko or any of the other Mercurial players. Here's what. Here's where I get confused by West West Ham though. Is like you described him as as sort of like like Zlatan Ibrahimovic esque, correct? Yeah. Like. Isn't that Marco Arnautovic, who they had and sold? Like, I never understand those types of moments where it's like, you have that guy and you got rid of him and now you brought in the other Zlatan? For like, it, it's, money, where, right? it's where I get confused. Yeah, I think secretly West Ham just wanted Zlatan, right? That must be what it is. I mean, then go get him. <laughs> Although I guess Milan have made that difficult. Yes, they have. They've made it very, very difficult. Um, so that's, that's really all I have to say about West Ham. But I think keep an eye on Jared Bowen, right wing, left foot. Keep an eye on Sebastian Haller because he... When he's on, he's really, really on, and I think he's going to win goal of the season. So is it fair to say that like West Ham will be less entertaining in both a good and bad way, but for fans that it's probably only a good thing because it means they're going to be a little bit more stable consistently as opposed to like, oh, they beat this team 4-0 and played electrifying yeah. football, and then the next week lost 3-0 and don't look like the same team at all. Yeah, I mean, that was the pattern under David Moyes um, after Project Restart, essentially. Right. He got it figured out with a back-to-basics, 4-2-3-1, okay. All kinds of uh, centre-backs at defensive midfield and just going for Mikel Antonio rather than uh, Sebastian Haller. I think he'll loosen up a little bit um, over the course of the season. Well, I appreciate, Daryl, that you are not loosening up at all. And you, I'm assuming you set a timer to remind you of when you needed to be done talking about West Ham. Is that, that what happened? That's exactly what happened, yeah. I ran I over figured, by five seconds. Uh, it's fine. Uh, well, we still have to talk about Wolves, but first, should we talk about Artifact? Yes, today's show is sponsored by Artifact. Artifact will help you make a personal podcast. I'm going to call them Wartifact so that they fit in with the W theme at this point. <laughs> uh, but yes, you should not look for that. You should instead go to HeyArtifact.com to find out more about them. But as Daryl said, uh, they're going to help you create some personalized podcasts. And I think now would be an interesting time to do that because, as we've been referencing several times, and people are probably aware, we still remain in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. And I think that's going to be something that will be hard to explain 
to people in the future who didn't yeah. live through it uh, just how strange it was to go from like, yeah, I hug everybody to like, I'm not sure I'll ever hug anybody again. <laughs> we are living through history, right? No, mm-hmm. matter, no matter how this ends, hopefully it yeah. ends with a vaccine and we can all go back to normal. This is a period of time that will be talked about for decades and decades and decades. It would be great for children and grandchildren to be able to have uh, your firsthand memories of what it was like living through this time. I think so, because like not to be very serious and slightly morbid for a moment, but it's true that like like we both grew up, like lived through 9-11 and you weren't in the country then for that, right? No. Right. But like. Like I forget that there are people who have you know born who born after nine eleven who have only existed in that post nine eleven world of you know consistent war and heightened awareness and everything like that and they probably don't understand what life was like before and I think we are going to have the ramifications of coronavirus for a long time and I think like I'm not joking even if it's kind of a bummer that like there's going to be that hesitation to shake hands and high five and I imagine that will extend to like your kids being like wait people used to hug and now we don't like what's happening and I think it will be an interesting time to preserve and have people talk about it and I think again that's a thing that artifacts could do. If people wanted to make an artifact that was maybe a little more celebratory, yeah, what else? That'd be fine. What else could you employ artifact to uh, to create for you? I mean, you could swing it around and talk about like find those happy moments in the pandemic and talk about how people have adjusted, and then it becomes a source of inspiration and a reminder that people endure and overcome. You could take it that route, but obviously, you could also use it for other things. Like we had people starting school again. A lot of people in my Instagram feed, their children were going back uh, or going back to their desks in the living room. Uh, but either way, like commemorating those kind of milestone moments and what it was like oh. because. I don't remember stuff from when I was in elementary school. I remember like bits and pieces here and there, but to have a recorded memory of the parent talking about what it was like and the kid talking about what that first day was like, that would be pretty interesting, Absolutely. I think. Absolutely. You know, people take those photos of like first day of school mm-hmm. for each grade. You could do an yep. artifact just once a year, maybe in the middle of the school year, just getting your kids' memories of what happened in that school year. And imagine your kid then listening back 10 years later. I would love to hear like 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old Daryl talking about what happened in high school that year. I wouldn't mind that. And I wouldn't mind hearing 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old Taylor be like, but this year I'm going to get my homework done on time. I'm going to get it all. And then that way I would be like, okay, I really do say that every year. I really actually have to do it at some point. (laughs) Well, you got all your research done for today's Total Soccer Show. You think I do. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what, we'll see happens what the Wolves, wolves preview is like. <laughs> <laughs> My entire Wolves preview is just Daryl, Wolves. <laughs> if people would like to um, commission artifacts mm-hmm. to help them make a personal podcast, the way it works is you you commission artifact and then they will set a time with you or with the people you want to interview. Um, they will record all the audio, then they will edit it for you and they will make it all nice and fancy. They'll add all kinds of finishing touches that you didn't even know were possible. You can also get $40 off. Um, you go what? to heyartifact.com. Use the code TSS, TSS, for $40 off your first artifact. There we are, heyartifact.com, TSS for $40 off. Thank you very much to Artifact for sponsoring today's episode. And apologies to people if I bummed you out. I'm going to make you happy by talking about wolves. All right. Shall we, Daryl? Let's do it. To give them their proper title, I believe from my research, it's the Wolverhampton Wandering Wolves of Wolverhampton FC. How dare you? You're off to a bad start. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, if people are new to Wolves, first of all, that's not their name. Second of all, another great uh, summary courtesy of StatsBomb's James York. I apologize. I just inadvertently zoomed in on my notes, and I'm going to talk for a moment while I remove, go back to actual size. There we are. Uh, the quote about Wolves. That Nuno Espirito Santo is both Portuguese and a former goalkeeper uh, for Jose Mourinho is highly indicative of Wolves' style of play. Um, one of only two teams to set up with three center backs in 38 of 38 games last season. So I think basically the gist here is that they know how they're going to play and the way they're going to play is three at the back, sometimes five at the back, uh, defensive, counterattacking, and yet consistently cause problems because people can't seem to figure out a way to deal with that. Is that a fair summary of Wolves so far? Yeah, absolutely. The The three centre-backs are always really tightly together. And any time the opposition manages to get in the final third, it does become a back five because the wing-backs come in. Um, and then the midfield is really good at sitting in front. And everybody knows exactly what they're supposed to do. It's mm-hmm. the reason you very rarely see Wolves concede a goal where it's um, on the breakaway or, breakaway or someone gets in behind. Yeah, Wolves are almost impossible to break down. That's the the key to their success. Yeah. Uh, And I think this season is going to be... I think, Daryl, you should be very excited about this season, but not because they're finally... Like, they're going to break the top four. This is the year that it all comes together. They're going to be the new Leicester. I think it's because... My read on Wolves is essentially that there is zero pressure on Nuno and this team. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean it in a, I kind of approached it as they're this team that are consistently in that like top six, top seven, top eight, top nine area. But at a certain point, teams get tired of that and they want to push on. And I was wondering, is this going to be that Wolves? Is it going to be like, this is the year and if they don't do it, then things are going to change? And I think my takeaway is no. I think that they're very content to stay in that spot and continue to build and invest and bring through players that are familiar with the system and then I think at a certain point that becomes that launch pad to the next level so with that in mind one of my predictions is that because the narrative already sort of seems to be in some of the previews I read the pressure is on for Nuno to prove that this team can progress and prove that he's the right one to lead them forward I think that's incorrect. I really think that if you look at the signings, you look at their approach to preseason, the fact that it's going to be abbreviated, the compressed schedule, multiple internationals on the team, the fact that they play a very small squad, he doesn't make a lot of substitutions. I don't think there's going to be a ton of pressure. I think no matter the results, Nuno will not be linked with a move away from the team. And I don't think he'll be close to the sack race at any given point, no matter how things go. Of course not. That's a loose prediction for my first one. Yeah, I mean, that's hard to argue with. All right, there we go. My second one uh, goes to their departures. Uh, Helder Costa sold to Leeds. You mentioned that yesterday. Uh, Matt Doherty uh, to Tottenham. You mentioned that today. And there's been no replacement there. Daryl, there is a rumor, though, who will be starting at right wing back for Wolves. Do you know who it is? No. Is it Adama Traore? It's Adama Traore. Okay. And I am... So very excited about this. I predict, this is my prediction, Adama Traore will have his best attacking season so far, even if he's playing right wing back. Uh, In 2019-2020, he had four goals, nine assists. He created 10 big chances, put in a bunch of crosses, had 700 total passes thereabouts. But I think... I don't really care about that because the what I have read uh, and what I understand from him from last season and what I have read from him uh, and the way he might be used this year is essentially that Nuno has been impressed by the way he has improved his game each season, not just in terms of being wholly reliant on speed and physicality. He could be that, but that's pretty much the extent of his development if he's just fast and physical. 
And what he does is adds new elements to his game. He improves his passing. He improves his crossing, his decision-making, his tracking, his marking, his timing of his runs. All of that seems to get better with every single season. And I think with those improved passing stats, with his improved chance creation, I think he's, it's going to make him a more effective attacker who can then track back and kind of catch people by surprise. I think... The other thing that is very important is that this is a team that seems to rely heavily on individual moments to create those transitions to attack, that they're happy for it to be one player who gets the ball and drives forward 30 yards with it. That seems like a domitriori to me as well. So I think they're at least going to start with him. It's a chance, at least. They're going to start with him at right wing back and see how it goes, and then if they need to strengthen, they will. But I think it could work really well. With all that said, Daryl, you know him better than I do. You know this team better than I do. I'm wondering what you think about that. Well, they have done it before quite a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Adama Traore either plays as um, one of the front two in a 5-3-2, right. one of the front three in a 3-4-3, or he has sometimes played as the right wing back. But usually he's played as the right wing back in games where Wolves know that they're going to be the dominant team, right? It's a way mm. of just getting extra attackers on the field. Um the problem is if Adama Traore is the permanent right wing back, I don't trust him as much as I trust, say, Matt Doherty yeah. to be the guy defending at the back post, right? Just because mm-hmm. it's not something he's that familiar with doing. And it's a really big part of playing right wing back for Wolves when they're under pressure is making sure that you take care of anything that comes to that back post. So that would be mm-hmm. my worry about it. But honestly, I thought they would sign a replacement right wing back at this point. They haven't. So, I mean... Johnny Otto's still injured. Like, uh, there's talk of maybe Ruben Vanagre leaving. So there's going to be some refresh of who Wolves' wingbacks are. I honestly don't know what it's going to be. So Traore playing there seems as good an answer as any right now. On the right. On the left, it seems like uh, Martial... Uh, from Lyon has been brought in, 31-year-old Brazilian left back. Uh, I think the idea is that he will play there and at least be an intermittent starter until Johnny returns from, was it his ACL that he did? Yeah, I I thought of Marcel as as a left centre-back, but I guess left wing-back makes sense as well. Is that where he played for Lyon? I think at least in one of the Champions League games, he was left back. Yeah, because Dubois so I think that's also the played there, right? Maybe he can just do both. If he can do both, that's great, because I'll be, I'll be really happy about that. I've got uh, another prediction, and then I'm going to talk about some other arrivals. Which would you prefer first? Prediction, please. All right. Uh, Rao Jimenez. uh, First off is that maybe I'll learn how to pronounce his name properly. Uh, Rao Jimenez will score more goals than Timo Werner or Kai Havertz. Yeah, that seems fair. And that's one of those like main goal scorer versus Shevard around kind of things, right? Sort of. But also it's the fact that I I think my feeling about this season overall, having done all these previews, is that the team's because of the the nature of the beast, because of it just sort of ending and then restarting abbreviated preseasons, I think teams that have a very set approach and everybody's on the same page are going to start much stronger than teams that are still figuring it out and have new faces and they've got to build that chemistry a little bit. And I think Wolves are about as like like identified as you can get in what they're going to do. I think the team is, I think the individual players are, and Rao Jimenez certainly is. The other thing I think that is important is that it's not as though Wolves' approach is a secret. They've been doing this, and teams routinely struggle to deal with it. I think it's partially because they do it really, really well. I think a minor explanation that I buy into, I doubt you will, Daryl, just knowing you, but I feel like there's a chance they get overlooked 
because all the other teams, like the big teams, quote unquote, are strengthening a little bit. And if you're, say, Manchester United and your next three games are Arsenal, Wolves, and then Everton, I think this season there's a chance that you look at Arsenal and Everton and you're like, oh, they added those attackers. Arsenal have gotten better. Like, we got to worry about that. We got to worry about that. We know what Wolves are going to do. Wolves are going to be defensive. We'll figure that out. And to some extent, I just feel like teams don't game plan properly for Wolves and seem to be consistently befuddled by their approach, Manchester United being a very good example of that. How often was your jersey hanging at the end of those games, Daryl? <laughs> I don't think it's as um, like emotional as that or as yeah. pre-thought out as that. I think it's just the way that Wolves defend is just really hard to break down. So mm-hmm. you can practice all week for a way to combat it. It's essentially a lot of bodies, a lot of really disciplined bodies to try and get through. And that's just always going to be difficult, right? You can game plan to play Burnley, but they're still going to do what they do and still going to make it yeah. really hard. Yeah, that's probably that's that's well said. I think the difference would just be that if you're game planning for a team that are really effective in the press, by definition, that means, you know, they're going to be higher up the field. They're going to be a little bit more spread out if you can make them. But either way, there's going to be opportunities to get in behind. Whereas with Wolves, yeah, less so. So you've got to try to like really take the game by the scruff of the neck and find a way through. Whereas Wolves, I think, are happy for you to do that, because inevitably what that means is you commit numbers forward. And then Raul Jimenez gets played in on the break and scores. And I just think that's going to continue, but I think they're probably going to be even a little bit better this season, though they're still going to have some of the depth issues, and maybe they don't have him the whole year if he gets an injury. But I think he's going to continue to improve and get better, and I think we'll probably end up getting heavily linked with moves to other clubs because he'll have strong success this season. So did I miss the prediction? Uh, that he will score more goals than Timo Werner. There or we Kai, go. Sorry, Kai I Havertz. forgot it. Yeah, Maybe both of them combined, although I don't necessarily want to go that That would far, be a bold, but... bold prediction. Yeah. <laughs> but the other reason why I think Wolves do not have that sort of like, we got to find a way to get to that next level pressure about them is because of the other signings they've added. They brought in Fabio Silva uh, on a permanent deal. They brought in Vitinha on a loan, which will be permanent. They have an option to buy, and I'm going to guess they're going to exercise that one. But it's the ages, Daryl. It's the ages. <laughs> Fabio Silva is an 18-year-old Portuguese forward, uh, formerly of FC Porto. I believe I'm correct in saying that Wolves broke their record to sign him. The fee is claimed to be about £37 million. Yeah. Pounds. And this is for, again, an 18-year-old who made a whopping 12 appearances total for Porto uh, last season, which was his debut season. Vitinha, similarly, eight appearances since being promoted to the Porto first team in January of 2020. This is clearly the Wolves scouting network, cough, cough, George Mendes, uh, having the familiarity knowing that these players are going to be big and kind of banking on we want them in with our team so they learn the system they come through I think both of them will get some appearances this season but I don't think either one of them is being signed to like like again I saw previews saying like Fabio Silva will come in and challenge Raul Jimenez no he won't it's Raul Jimenez's job it's his spot I feel like uh, Fabio Silva if anything is more of a uh, who, who's oh, Diogo Jota? Diogo Jota, that sort of role. That seems to yeah. be what he'll do: is dropping I, in to pick up the ball, turn, and then play in Raúl Jiménez. That seems to be what he's very good at. From what I saw of Fabio Silva, and there's only so much footage, right? Because yeah. he's so young and hasn't played that many games. He looks like someone who can play any of the front three positions. So he can be maybe a long-term or a temporary replacement for Raúl Jiménez if he's not available or if he leaves. But in the meantime, yeah, he can play like Jota does. Um, in one of those wide attacking positions. So there's there's room for him to play in the first team semi-regularly without being a, like a straight-on challenge to Raul Jimenez. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I look at those acquisitions. I, I know even less about Vitinha than I do Fabio Silva, aside from that, 
it's two signings, both both of whom made their fan bases very, very sad when they moved on. Even with that fee, I think there was still a feeling about Fabio Silva of like, yeah, we're used to selling our players on, but normally we get a year or two of them being lights out, head and shoulders above everybody else, and then they go to Atletico Madrid, or yeah. then they go to Wolves. I feel not bad when about they're 18 it. and haven't even had that moment. I genuinely feel bad about it. I feel like Porto and Porto fans should have had the opportunity to see those guys play at least a season before they got moved on this like it's great for Wolves because I feel like they probably got them a little cheaper and probably they're ahead of the market or ahead of ahead of everybody else in terms of Mm -hmm. being interested so it's it's great in that sense but it's really bad when you're producing these talented young players but you're not even getting the chance to enjoy them in your first team before you move them on so we'll get you a Porto jersey and you can just wear that for Wolves games does (laughs) that help maybe maybe I'm more want to when coronavirus is over I want to hug a Porto fan and say sorry that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> did you um, but did I you get a look at Vitinha? Like again, only like Y Scout minutes, and again, it's a lot of like grainy footage from his like like uh, Porto reserve teams and things like that. But it's, I mean, he seems fine. <laughs> like from what I could tell, uh, he seemed like he was he was competent on the ball. He was a an FC Porto Academy product. Good on the ball, kept it moving. Uh, able to play on the half turn, seemed to be again a sort of like receive the ball turn play it between the lines into a runner seemed to be very capable of that again I don't necessarily know if he's going to come in and be a starter for Wolves right away but I want to see him incorporated into the system and where he ends up being incorporated because maybe it's one of those two sort of deeper midfielders maybe it's a more attacking position maybe it's somewhere else entirely because Nuno has a vision for what he wants of Vitinha so we may have watched different highlights because what I saw absolutely blew me away he really he seemed like a baby Bruno Fernandes Okay. Everything I saw, and maybe I just did just see the very best actions that he performed. The, the everything did you I click best actions. I did click best actions. Well, there we go. I I, I almost never do that anymore. Well, yeah, I was going for a bit of the hype as a fan of the yeah. team, right? Wanting to see yeah. what this guy was all about. It was all backhill through balls that you know went where they were supposed to mm. go, like scoop passes over the top of the defense for someone to run on and score, and like clever passes that no one else could see coming. It, I I got really excited watching them. So. Um, but again, a lot of this is for like Porto B or for Porto yeah. in the UEFA Youth League. So this is not right. at senior level. Maybe long term, this is like a Jao Matinho replacement, like a really technical uh, technical midfielder that can uh, just straight up play centre mid for Wolves. Yeah, I think we'll see flashes of Vitinha this season and then maybe more and more as the years roll on. The speculation I saw is that he is meant to be a long-term replacement for Ruben Neves when he inevitably is sold off. Oh, okay. We're also so going to we'll need a replacement for Jao Matinho when he inevitably um, turns There's 40. There's also that. <laughs> He's just never going to age. But I think all of that said, like having previewed so many teams where it was like they could be good, but like I don't really know, and like they've got a lot of question marks, they've got to fill things out. Wolves are just a team that like – like I am jealous of is I guess the best way to put it. I think that's why I'm so hyped about them is that this is a team who seem to have an identity, seem to know exactly what they're doing, have an established coach, have an established approach and are now signing young players who are going to be very good for them. Maybe this year, but certainly in a few more years will become world beaters. And I think it sort of is like, they're so not worried about the current situation. They're already looking two years ahead. That level of foresight is both intimidating and really exciting. Yeah. And I think, I think you nailed it in your intro to this um, preview by saying it's not about like what do we do to challenge for the top four because that is in some ways that's kind of fool's gold right to suddenly try and sign a load of big names um, and think that you can just suddenly start challenging that's how this whole thing falls apart because 
the whole Wolves Nuno thing is built on the Nuno system. That, right. that defensive uh, discipline, it's it's really a thing that you can't undo, right? You can't trade that off for signing, say, Felipe Anderson. You know, what I mean? no. I, I'll yeah. be really upset if I wake up tomorrow and they've signed Felipe <laughs> Anderson. But you get what I'm saying. Um, yeah. You can't trade it off, but you can uh, keep bringing players in and keep making it more interesting and keep... Um, knowing that players will leave and bringing in players that you think will be good for the future um, and just try and keep trying to be consistently in the top half of the Premier League. For me, that's enough. I don't need Wolves to take a gamble on trying to get into the Champions League spots. I think the current setup, there's always an outside chance of them making the Champions League spots, but a more likely chance of just being top 10 and always being competitive. And I'm I'm good with that. I think speaking of Europe, uh, should also note last season, obviously in the Europa League, they go into the knockout round. Those are more fixtures for a team that, again, doesn't make many substitutions, doesn't necessarily have a ton of depth. That is an obstacle that they don't have this year. So I think that's another reason why I think they'll be in a little bit stronger position. Final thing, we've gone very long. Can I just come back on that, though? I know that Nuno is just really weird about not making subs and Mm -hmm. using the same starting eleven all the time. And I, I don't know if it's that the depth wasn't there, of just Nuno just doesn't want to use it. So... I can't remember who the other team we talked about. Sheffield United we talked about in the same sort of way. That there is a danger to having depth that suddenly not everybody's as well drilled as they were last year. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I always am just worried about the what if. And what if this guy gets hurt? Or what if that happens? And then you don't have that depth. And you are playing a Dama Traore at both wingback spots <laughs> all of a sudden. Like, that's where I think I think about depth. And I think that if you have a ton more games because of the Europa League, that increases the likelihood that there are going to be injuries or at least fatigue issues and muscle issues. So not having that obstacle is where I think it probably helps them because you just don't have that extra possibility of having injuries and having depth concerns. And yet they did it last year. And um, Mm -hmm. I kept hearing a lot of praise for the Wolves sports science and recovery team that they were really able to just add in these Europa League games and still everybody just just keep on playing. Like I can barely think of a game that Raul Jimenez missed, for example. He never misses. Day. There we go. That's his whole thing. There's two of him. They just cloned him. That's all. So I think, yeah, I just think I'm I'm excited for what's going to happen with Wolves this season, even if it means they're going to finish in like the exact same spot. There's something to that. I also think my final thing, like I'd like to hear your thoughts on this one, but to some extent, I think because Nuno is playing a style of soccer that just it, it isn't in vogue right now. <laughs> like like he is a disciple of Jose Mourinho to some extent. Jose Mourinho is still playing that style. Sean Dyche is maybe playing that style. And then Nuno is like, I think it also lessens the likelihood that somebody else comes in and you have that problem of the Hasenhutl, what happens if he goes? I don't know if people are going to be pursuing Nuno the way I think they should be because I think he's perceived as a more defensive coach at a time when everybody wants like pressing aggressive attacking soccer. I so I think to some extent that also helps you all not worry about that external pressure or not have that external pressure of Real Madrid need a new coach. Nuno's been really successful, maybe he's going to leave. Well, yeah, I mean it won't be Real Madrid, but I think there'll be someone somewhere who'll probably make an approach at at some point. Someone will be impressed with what he's doing and and try and get him. So I think there's always a, there's always a possibility. I think it's but, more I, about I, just Wolves making it more attractive for Nuno to stay at Molyneux than to go anywhere else. I don't I'm I'm genuinely not trying to like argue the point. I'm actually asking you this question. Like like who could you see that being? Knowing that he's gonna go back three slash back five, defensive counterattacking. Like which which team do you think, like which big team would be okay with that approach? Um I mean, maybe not in the Premier League, but there was that like Arsenal interest last season, right? So there's there's always a chance that there's a team like that 
comes in for him. But um, I don't know. I think you're making it so that it has to be someone who's already playing that style. But the, no, I'm not even. I'm, but like okay, Barcelona so, aren't going to want defensive. Yeah, so I'm thinking of know? a team like Sevilla. Maybe might be the type okay. of team that think that if if Lopetegui moves on or something happens, they might be the type of team that would come in for someone like Nuno. I feel like that's like a backwards move for him to some extent. Maybe even though Sevilla have the success and win all the Europa leagues, like I I think that's what I mean is just that like maybe that is maybe they make him a massive offer. But outside of that, like I don't know if that's at, at best to me that's a lateral move. Again, I'm not trying to dismiss all the success Sevilla have had, but I feel like the only way he gets lured away, unless it's a, a godfather amount of money, is if it's a, a a much more high profile team. And that's where I think I just keep going back to. I don't know if that happens. Yeah, but maybe I'm maybe wrong. it's we'll maybe it's out. unlikely, but um, it's not impossible. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you don't want me to jinx this, is what exactly. you're saying. I know you believe in jinxes. Exactly. <laughs> all right well that's all i have about wolves all right so that's all we have for the premier league then we have previewed yeah. all 20 teams well done us i think we should pat each other on the back um we can't because of coronavirus and also distance we can um, it is worth letting people know uh before they start watching the premier league that nbc sports gold is no longer a thing so if you had an nbc sports oh, yeah. gold subscription to watch the stuff that isn't on nbc sports and nbc that is now going to be on peacock premium Peacock is the NBC streaming service. Um, you need to pay, I think, either 5 or $10 a month for Peacock Premium. And then you'll have access to um, the games that are on there as well. I know that, for example, this weekend, Tottenham Everton is going to be on Peacock Premium. So if you want to watch that game, I'm afraid you're going to have to stump up the little extra cash. I'd say it's probably worth it if you're a big Premier League fan uh, to get all the games for the entire season. Yeah, I think so. And you can watch 30 Rock without the ads. So there's that. Also that. Well. <laughs> Always important. All that remains, Taylor, is to say thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. And listeners, thank you for listening. And we will talk to you again after the weekend.